My name is Mandy McKay, and we want to thank you for taking the time to listen to the sermon audio of Sojourn Church. Sojourn is a church that is committed to the gospel in the context of family, living on mission to the city of Portland and our world. We hope that this collection of sermons both inspires you and challenges you to live a life of intentionality where you seek to make disciples. If you'd like to learn more about our church family, you can go online and check out our website at sojournpdx.org. One quick word of encouragement before we begin this episode's sermon. We at Sojourn absolutely love it that you're tuning in to what God is teaching us here. But more than anything else, we want this podcast to be supplementary to an already growing devotion to your own church body and nothing else. This collection and others like it are great in making God's word to us more available and understandable, but it can never be a healthy substitute for real participation in the body of Christ. Enjoy this sermon. Welcome to Sojourn. We're glad that you are here with us this evening. Uh, If you're new with us or maybe you're checking us out for the very first time, we often say around here that we're a group of ordinary people that have been changed by the love of Jesus in the context of family, living out his mission to our community, our city, and our world. Um, And before I really get started, I want to say our team continues to grow, which we've been praying since we moved here, that uh, the harvest is plentiful in Portland. We believe that, and we're praying that God would send more laborers into his harvest. And so we want to recognize that Lindsay Taylor just arrived, actually last Sunday, but it was after our gathering. And so uh, everyone give her a warm welcome that she is now here. She she, uh, spent two summers in the city of Portland and felt God stirring in her to move out here eventually. And so she arrived a week ago, and uh, she is transitioning into the city. Tonight, I'm excited because we're going to kick off a brand new series around the table, joining Jesus in the ordinariness of life. Um, The Gospel of Luke, if you know much about us, it tells us that the Son of Man came eating and drinking, which is where we'll spend the next several weeks looking at different stories of Jesus changing the lives and the ordinariness of life throughout the Gospel of Luke. And so he's always with people, and it's not some special ministry set up, it's not some huge campaign, but it's just ordinary daily life that he's changing lives. And so my hope as the pastor of this church is that we are all inviting people to join us around the table. And if we're not inviting them, that we're being invited to other people's tables and that we are joining them. And so that we can invite them to embrace the freedom and family found at the table of Jesus. Meals mean a lot. Around tables where bonds happen, it's where barriers come down. I think about the the first time I really got to know Andrea, it was around a table. We were on a date, and that's how we got to know one another. The table kind of kept us at a distance, which her father appreciated. It was around a table that I sat and asked her dad if I could have her hand in marriage. And it was around a table that we sat with our close friends and family as we celebrated the bond and union of our wedding together. And it was around a table a few years ago that we sought the Lord and prayed together about this stir to move across the country to the city of Portland, and here we are tonight. And this passage will be today, where Andrea read at the beginning, we will see and learn that Jesus loves sinners. And God sent Jesus to earth not to encourage or to legitimize sin, but to build relationships with those that are far from God in order to draw them near, to change their life, and to forgive them for their sins, and to give them a new identity. Jesus is the best example we have as one coming as a missionary. And that's really one of my goals with this whole series is that we all would see ourselves as missionaries, regardless what we do throughout the week, regardless where our paycheck comes from, but that we would see ourselves as missionaries and Jesus is the best model for that. One of our values as a church is mission because we believe that we are sent to be missionaries right here where we live, where we work, where we play. And that happens to be in the city of Portland. God put us here for his purpose, for his glory. 
Maybe sometimes you struggle to live here. I know I do. If I can just be transparent, there's days that I actually love this city, and there's days I'm like, I'm not sure what I'm doing here. But God has put me here either way, regardless how I feel. It can't be based on my emotions. It has to be based on what God is calling me to do and what his purpose and his glory. In the New Testament, Jesus was often referred to as the Son of Man, who came with a few purposes. Most people would say that Jesus came with these purposes, preaching the word, establishing the kingdom of God, dying on the cross, taking away my sin. All of those would be great Sunday school answers, and they wouldn't necessarily be wrong, but it might surprise some of you. The New Testament says the Son of Man came in three particular ways. The first is the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Second way is the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. And the third way is the Son of Man came eating and drinking. The first two statements are on why Jesus came, his purpose in coming. The third statement, the one that we're really going to look at the most, shows us the method of how Jesus came. And we're going to take the next several weeks to look at how he came to us, the company that he often kept, and how that should shape what grace, community, and mission looks like for us as we seek to follow Jesus faithfully in the city of Portland. The Jews of Jesus' day would have said that the Son of Man would have come in many different ways, but they would have never said that he came eating and drinking. But what we'll see in this series is the Gospel of Luke is that eating and drinking were such an integral part of Jesus' life and ministry that his enemies actually called him a glutton and a drunkard. Think about what they would have to be accusing him of because of how he lived his life that was different than what they expected of the awaited um, Messiah that they were waiting for. It tells us in uh, chapter 7, verse 34, the Son of Man has come eating and drinking, and you say, look at him, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. In chapter 5, verse 33, it says, and they said to him, the disciples of John fast often and offer prayers, so do the disciples of the Pharisees, but yours they eat and drink. Now, we've got to pause there for a minute. Do you want to be the disciple of the one who's fasting all the time, or do you want to be the disciple of the one who's eating all the time? I don't know if we get the freedom to make that decision. I think we're actually called to do both. In his book, A Meal with Jesus, a book I highly recommend, by the way, author Tim Chester said it this way, Jesus spent his time eating and drinking, a lot of his time. He was a party animal. His mission strategy was a long meal stretching into the evening. He did evangelism and discipleship around a table with some grilled fish, a loaf of bread, and a pitcher of wine. That is the Savior who we worship, and that is the Savior that we're going to be looking at in the next several weeks. The Gospel of Luke is full of stories of Jesus eating with people. Many of these stories are the ones that we're going to visit in the coming weeks. In Luke 5, which we're going to look at tonight, Jesus eats with tax collectors and sinners at the home of Levi. In Luke 7, Jesus is anointed at the home of Simon the Pharisee during a meal. In Luke 9, Jesus feeds 5,000 people at one time. 5,000. In Luke 10, Jesus eats in the home of Martha and Mary. In Luke 11, Jesus condemns the Pharisees and teachers of the law at a meal. In Luke 14, Jesus is at a meal when he urges people to invite the poor to their meals rather than their friends. In Luke 19, Jesus invites himself to dinner with Zacchaeus. I mean, who's, who does that? Who just goes and invites yourself to dinner? In Luke 22, we have the account of the Last Supper. And in Luke 24, the risen Christ has a meal with two disciples on the road to, uh, in Emmaus and then later eats fish with the disciples in Jerusalem. You see, in Luke's gospel, Jesus is either going to a meal or coming from a meal. And all of Portland said, Amen. Because we love to eat. This is, can't be any more relevant than our city because we love to eat brunch and donuts and get coffee. And we're just such a foodie city that it runs it when we go anywhere else and try to eat what they call good food because it just fails in comparison. And this is the reason that Jesus is accused of being a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors, to say a friend of sinners. So when is the last time that you were accused of being a glutton and a drunkard because of the company you keep? Because of the friendships that you have with those that you you love, people that you're spending time with. 
And maybe if you haven't been accused of that, maybe you should actually be accused of that. Maybe you're only eating with those who believe just like you do and who look just like you and have the, vote the same way and read the same version of the Bible and do all those things. Maybe you should start doing with people who are, do the opposite of those things. And maybe you'll start being accused of, wait a minute, I think he's, you know, traditional terms from where I grew up, like he's backsliding. He's eating with those people. And that's kind of what Jesus is being accused of. Like, why do you want to associate yourself with those types of people? Eating and drinking were an important part of the mission of Jesus because it was a way of showing friendship with tax collectors and sinners. The excess of food that they were enjoying and the excess of the grace of Jesus would be linked together. And so it kind of represents the grace that Jesus lavishly gives over to all of us with the food that they are sitting back and enjoying. In the ministry of Jesus, we see that meals are where we see him enact grace, community, and mission. This is, this is a huge part of his ministry. Now, please don't mishear me reducing church and mission to meals, but I do hope that you leave here tonight seeing them as a significant part of our shared life together. I think sometimes when we think about ministry and we hear mission, you think, man, like, I'm already so busy. My boss already requires so much, and my, my spouse and my kids, like, how am I going to add something else? And it's like, you don't have to add anything. We live in one of the best food cities in the country. Most of you in the room, on average, eat 21 meals a week. Some of you eat more meals than that. And so you have plenty of opportunities to eat those meals with other people. It is that simple. Think if you shared three or four of those meals a week. And you're thinking, okay, what about my budget? It doesn't, no one said you have to pay for it. Now, if you have the money to be generous, then you can pay for it. You can invite them over and you can cook and buy all the ingredients. Or maybe you're just meeting them out at a restaurant like Pine State Biscuits and you, you both pay for your own meals. I meet with a guy every about two weeks and uh, he is not a, a follower of Jesus. And he's, if anything, he's probably on the opposite end of that, but every couple of weeks. And we just split the bill. Like one time I meet, I'll grab the, the check. And the next time we meet, he grabs a check. So we just, you know, flip flop it that way. So there's multiple ways you can do this. And three to four, that may sound like a lot. If you're thinking right now, I don't do eat any other meal with anyone. Like that's my time. That's called being selfish. But if that's kind of what you're thinking, how about two meals? Two meals is almost 10%. So if we go to two meals a week or at least a cup of coffee. We add you know, cups of coffee in our city as well. And so these, these are, are times we see Jesus. He's, he's eating with people rejected by society, people on the fringes of life. But he does it with intentionality. And if you do the same, then you can get a chance to share your faith and just being present with people. Tell me about your life. Tell me about your story. And then usually they're going to ask you about your story as well. And we're going to see opportunities to build up community and to reach out and mission would be endless if we would just be intentional with the way we live our everyday life. In my house, we've basically added a line item to our budget so that I can eat out a certain amount of meals. Now, before you say, well, that's not fair to Andrea. Like, we can discuss that later, and we can get that with her as well. But I am out a lot. And so a lot of times she accused me, like, who did you eat lunch with today? But to me, it's worth it for the mission opportunities that I get by eating meals out. And it's not every meal, but it's, it's frequent enough in our city. It's called being a good missionary. It's being contextual in the place where you live to be able to do that. And the reality of a church start like ours in Portland is that we're not going to reach people by inviting them to what we do here on Sunday evenings. I love Sunday evenings. That's why I value getting here and setting up and getting donuts and coffee and all those things. I value it. I do. And we talk about this. And we believe that the church should gather. It says, and they gathered. But we also recognize that we're not going to reach the city of Portland by saying, like, hey, we put a banner out and an A-frame sign. Like, it even shows you the time. Like, that's not going to do it. But where it's going to happen is doing life on life with them around a table at lunch, at dinner, at coffee shops, at your house. And so I'm not saying don't 
don't invite people to our church gatherings, please do invite people. Just don't be surprised when most of them say no multiple times, and maybe they don't ever come, but they, they would be willing to go and have a meal with you. The friend that I mentioned, we get lunch every two weeks. He's never been to our one of our church gatherings. He told me the one time I invite him, never invite him again. And so I've honored that and respected that, yet I invite him to lunch every couple of weeks. And so you've got to think outside the box on how we, uh, how we do things. I believe Jesus modeled that for us. Jesus wasn't saying, come into the synagogue, some, some, some service. He was saying, cool, I'm going to, Zacchaeus, I'm going to go to your house. Or so-and-so, you're doing this, I'm going to come to your house. And so now that we've looked at the method of how Jesus did ministry, I want us to look together at this passage from the Gospel of Luke to see the example of how Jesus interacted with others around the table. So let's take a few moments, and we're going to peer into the life of Jesus as we join him at this table. If you've got a Bible, go ahead and turn with me to the Gospel of Luke. If uh, you're new to the Bible, the New Testament is where you want to find it, and Luke is the third book over. We'll be in chapter 5. If you don't have a Bible or own one, we have blue Bibles on the table in the back. It's yours to keep if you don't own one or if you have an app on your, on your phone, and it will be on the screen next to me as well. But there's something to me about having it in your hand, whether it's on your phone or, or at least a, a hard copy as well. So go ahead and, and, and read with me, starting in verse 27. It says, after this, he went out and saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at the tax booth, and he said to him, follow me. So let me stop there for a minute, and let's set this up briefly. Just prior to this, at the beginning of chapter 5, we start in verse 1, there's a few things that have taken place before we enter this scene. The first is that Jesus has called the first disciples, so he's, he's called them to join him. And uh, the second thing we see is that Jesus has shown compassion by cleansing a leper. We actually were uh, at Eastbridge Church this morning with our friends, and he was actually preaching on this very passage, that Jesus cleanses a leper and actually reaches out and touches this leper. And then the third thing is we see that Jesus heals a paralytic. And so we kind of enter the scenes. We're seeing all these, these things happening, all these things taking place. And the fourth thing is now we're going to see that Jesus calls Levi. And so Levi, if you're not familiar with him, it says Levi was a tax collector. Now, we might hear that and think, we just paid our taxes not that long ago. The government took, you know, more money than I wanted them to, and taxes come out of my paycheck, so it may not seem that weird to us. But a tax collector at this time, they were despised in Jewish society because they used the tax system to line their own pockets. And so they would, they would steal money. I know you're all thinking, well, they still do that, but this is a different time of saying they, they were despised. They hated tax collectors. And moreover, the occupation made them ritually unclean. And so you didn't want to be around tax collectors. Unless you were a tax collector, like you didn't want to be around them. You didn't want to be near them. You definitely didn't want to dine at the same table with them. And so the Pharisees and the scribes who emphasized segregation from anything that would make one unclean were surprised when they passed by and they see that Jesus is going to go to this banquet attended by tax collectors and sinners. Why, why would Jesus do this? This is very scandalous that we would even they, to think that Jesus would associate himself with those types of people. These people for tax collectors, get into your mind, they would have been equivalent to working with the IRS and, and maybe even a member of ISIS, if we want to get kind of extreme here. And you think, really like that, like that despised, where you're like, I don't want to be near that person. I don't want to eat at the same table with them. I don't know what they're going to do to me. These were hated people. These were the people in charge of people separating families at the border that we see happening now even in our own country. Like those people and those feelings that you get and you get rage and you get angry, they're separating young children away from their families and, and children are being locked practically in cages. Like those are the types of people and this is the attitude they had towards tax collectors. We do not like these people. 
In other words, they were disliked people. They were hated ones because of their way of life. And all of a sudden, we see Jesus, who we just sang songs of praise to and worship. Jesus is going to go associate with this despised individual. And so by calling Levi, what Jesus is doing, he's bringing forgiveness to the despised tax collector, which is actually why I've, just, um, I've titled this message tonight, Dining with the Despised. And so around the table, what Dining with the Despised. And that's what we're going to see Jesus do. He's going to the despised of society, and he's associating himself with them by offering forgiveness to them. The invitation given to Levi by Jesus, he says, follow me. It's a simple invitation. Follow me. It's an invitation of a total commitment to Christ. This wasn't a halfway call to a commitment, which is so commonplace today. As I was reading this and studying this, thinking, I mean, the call was to follow me. And as you, as you look up the languages, everything's like, follow me is that total surrender. Like, I'm going to walk away from everything, which we're going to see Levi do. This wasn't if it seems convenient or when it becomes convenient or if I don't get a better offer. That is, that's how we treat commitments today. It's like, you know what? Hey, that sounds good. Yeah, I'm going to do that. I'm going to follow that. I got a better offer. Now I'm going this way. And you're kind of like, yeah, maybe. Like, that's not what's going on here. Jesus like, follow me. And it doesn't seem like there's another option. It's like, follow me or don't follow me. There's not this halfway thing. He just goes, I'm going to follow you. And so this invitation was to a complete surrender of his life and all areas of his life. So have you found yourself there? Have you found yourself at a complete place of surrender where you've just said, Jesus, I'm giving it all to you? Like the, you know, the song that we sing, I give it all to you. Or are there areas of your life maybe tonight that you're still holding on to? Are you waiting until something better comes along? Saying, I'm not sure if I actually want to give that over. You know, these are usually the places that only you know about. The rest of us in this room don't know about those. They're somewhere deep down. Like, is there something you're still holding on to that you're just like, I'm not so sure that I actually want to give this over to God? What I'm telling you is that God can handle it. And God is saying, follow me. He's giving us that offer tonight. He's saying, follow me. Walk away from it all. Trust me. I will guide you. And so how do we see Levi respond? In verse 28, it says, and leaving everything, he rose and he followed him. So Levi was waiting for Jesus, unknowingly waiting for Jesus. He's just doing his normal, everyday life. And, and, and all of a sudden, um, we see that he's called to follow Jesus. And this should encourage us because we have what I call Levi type of individuals all over our city. This is the person that maybe the, the bank teller or maybe the barista or the person that checks you out at Target or the person that sits next to you in your cubicle and you're like, there's no hope for them. They want nothing to do with Jesus. They want nothing to do with the Bible. They want nothing to do with Christianity. That was Levi. And so I say that I encourage you to continue to be faithful, continue to be a light, continue to be a witness in these places in our city because Levi's doing his everyday life at the tax booth and unknowingly Jesus was there to meet him. And so we have no idea what God is doing in our city. We have no idea what God is doing in our midst. I heard this described recently that evangelism is us joining a, a conversation the Holy Spirit's already having with someone. And so I'm encouraged by that going, the Holy Spirit's having conversations with people all over this city, and you and I don't get to decide who those people are. You don't know who those, those individuals are. So continue to be faithful and, and living your everyday life next to these people in their everyday life, around a table, at your cubicle, whatever it may be, because God is working. He's going to call people to himself. And that's my hope for this whole series. My whole series, this whole, whole desire was to say that, man, every single person who is interacting with Sojourn, whether you're in here for just tonight and visiting town or whether you're part of us, like we all get this opportunity to invite others to sit at the feet of Jesus, to sit around this table at this place that he has provided for us. And so Jesus calls Levi to not only follow him, but he says, leave everything in doing so. And Levi rose up and he leaves everything, which by the way, that's the correct response 
When Jesus calls and says, follow me, you're to walk away from whatever it is you're doing. I think about my children. Oftentimes we'll say, put the video game down. Your time is up. And they continue to play. Hey, stop doing, put the ball down. It's time to do this. And they don't do it. That's not what we're supposed to do. What Jesus would say, okay, I'm going to follow you. I'm going to leave it now and walk away. And Levi is a model of discipleship because he leaves everything and he follows Jesus. That is the correct response. He didn't ask a bunch of questions. He didn't say, well, God, hold on. Hold on, Jesus, i got to ask you all these questions first. Here's my notebook of things i got to know. There were so many unknowns, but he had faith. We can't get away from the element of faith. There's an element of faith and trust that takes place here. And you see, the gospel informs and says something about how you live your life. The gospel should inform your work. The gospel informs your sex life. Your gospel informs your relationships. The gospel informs every aspect of our lives. And so we see Levi leaving that and going, I'm just going to trust that this is, this is what I'm supposed to do. And so as we walk away from those things, we're going to see that Jesus, the good news that he is proclaiming and calling people to follow him, is going to inform every other area of his life. So we see Jesus call Levi to follow him. He asked him to leave everything is that part of that process, which, by the way, it doesn't mean you're always going to have to leave everything. You know, it depends on what kind of life you're living and what it is that you're doing, but it, it will require some level of sacrifice. And then we see the first action that Levi does as a result. So Levi, you know, here's Jesus, follow me, leave everything, and then what do we see next? Enter the scene, verse 29. And Levi made him a great feast in his house, and there was a large company of tax collectors and others reclining at the table with them. So we then see Levi do exactly what all of us should be doing on a regular basis. He throws a party for Jesus. How many of you in here like parties? Let's see you raise of hands. All my extroverts raise their hand. All my introverts are kind of like, yeah, it depends on how long this party is going to go. So Levi throws a party, and then he invites all of his friends so they can meet Jesus too. At this time, in a, in a formal dining scenario, this is how it kind of laid out. The guests reclined on couches that stretch around three sides of the room. So kind of visualize that in your mind. The host took the center, center seat at the U-shaped uh, series of lower tables, and then they were surrounded by the most honored guests on either side. And then the, the guest head would recline at the tables, and their feet would be towards the wall. And so I imagine, like, they're just kind of stretched out for the evening for this meal. Don't think we're just going to eat, you know, a 30-minute dinner and be done. Like, it's going to last a long time. And leave us like, I'm going to invite all my friends, and I'm going to invite and, and get to show off Jesus, my new friend. And so I want, I want you guys to meet each other. Like, life is being changed here. Yes, I, you know, I've started following this guy and I left everything as a result. And I know you guys are questioning that and why I did that. Maybe some of you have been there with your families who aren't following Jesus. They have, they're really confused on why you did that. Say, hey, I want you to come meet Jesus because then you'll understand. There'll be some understanding that takes place for you here. And so as you picture this in your mind, the Levi's introducing his new friend Jesus to this old group of friends. The second action we see that Levi does is he finds a way to interact with all of his friends. Most who are, who are like the old Levi. So these are friends who are also tax collectors. These are also despised people in society. So he says, I want to I invite you guys into this. And then, we have, and then there's going to be a couple of options. And most of you can probably experience this if you're following Jesus. Like part of your own story, part of your own testimony as we say it. You probably felt like you had a couple of options when you came to know Jesus, depending on what your life looked like. The first option is you probably thought, man, I can never see those friends again. Like, the things that we do on the weekends, if you only knew the stories, if you only knew what happened when we went on that trip to Vegas, like, I can't ever interact with these friends again, because Jesus changed my life, and, that's not, and I just can't do it anymore. There may be a time and place for that, maybe what I call a season, but 
let's see what the second option is. Second option, people think, I'm just going to act the same way I did before. Hey, I've got Jesus now. I'm just going to add Jesus into my, to my lifestyle. And so I'm just going to continue to live it up the way that I've always done and just say, cool, I've like added Jesus into this. Like, by the way, that's never the correct response. The first one, you may need to break away and maybe you can re-enter, but just continue to live that way you did. I'd argue maybe something else is going on there if the Holy Spirit's not actually working your life to change you um, out of your old way of life. But I think Levi's actually going to show us a third option. I don't think we're only given two options. I don't think it is we've got to throw the friends out or we just embrace the friends and continue to do the things we did before. Levi shows us a third option, which is what I call good biblical hospitality. I think this is the third option that we're given with our friends and kind of those that represent our former way of life prior to knowing Christ. So Levi prepares a feast as a natural way to connect with his friends and introduce them to Jesus. My guess is this is something they would frequently do anyway. It's like, okay, we, we get together, we have these big feasts, so I'll just invite them to that. that. That'll be normal, and they'll know that. And then I'm going to invite my new friend, so I want you guys to meet my new friend. His name is Jesus. And so my question for you is, are your friends seeking to invite you to their parties? Are your friends doing that? And then are you seeking to invite your friends to your parties? specifically those who would say that they are not following Jesus, that they, they don't necessarily have any interest? Or is it more of, like, I'm not going to invite that person because I'm afraid they're going to judge. Like, uh, what's going on there? I want you to think through that. When was the last time that you threw a party and invited non-believing friends as a way to point them towards Jesus? Not like a bait and switch, not like a, hey, we're going to have this awesome raging party, we're going to have a bunch of kegs there and all kinds of food, and then like you invite some guy to pop up and like, hey, everyone sit down, we're going to do this, I'm going to preach this message. Like, not like that, not a bait and switch, but just I generally threw a party, really good hospitality, that you had the best food and the best wine. When was the last time you did that? as a way just to love your community, love your friends around you, to where natural conversations happen. Because that's where these things take place, around a table, shoulder to shoulder, talking about you know, your children and the stage of life that you're in and graduating school and doing master's degrees and all these things. And then naturally spiritual conversations come up as part of that. And as this dinner scene is playing out, we're not really sure if the door was open or if, if um, they were dining out on an open patio or something like that, like we would do this time of year. But all of a sudden, we see some religious leaders come walking by. Verse 30, it says, And the Pharisees and their scribes grumbled at his disciples, saying, Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? So here we are with Jesus. He's eating with Levi. He's eating with all of his friends, which once again are described as sinners. And now we see this group called the Pharisees and the scribes, and they're complaining and questioning Jesus. Naturally, who is it the ones that are complaining? The religious people of the day. They're the ones that are, are, are going, whoa, whoa, wait a minute. You can't do that. If any of you are on Twitter, just don't even get on it. Or Facebook, I'm sure most of you are on it. Like, these are the kind of arguments, right? It's like, whoa, wait a minute. You just shared the article by that person? Or did you see that this person showed up at this person's church and this happened? All these things. That's the scribes and the Pharisees. So the scribes, if you're not familiar, they were professional theologians who had been formally trained. Think Bible college or seminary. Yep, I would fall into that camp because I at least have the degrees. And then uh, the Pharisees. These were more of the working class. They hadn't received formal theological education, but they were zealous and they were devoted. Pharisees thought that extending table fellowship with these people would actually make a person unclean. So what they're saying is, is Jesus is eating with these tax collectors, and they're thinking, Jesus is getting dirty right now. Like, this is in the middle of Jesus actually being, like, this dirtiness is getting all over. This sin is, is, is now infecting you. And But just as we see Jesus able to cleanse a leper earlier in, in a, a different chapter, rather than a leper making Jesus dirty, it's the same way when he dines with them. Rather than them making Jesus dirty, Jesus is actually able to make them clean, everyone at that table. 
I've mentioned this story to you before. Some of you are familiar with it, some of you are not, but whenever we lived overseas, we were, we were in India equipping church planters and pastors, and one of the things I uh, frequently would teach on was the idea of the Lord's Supper, communion, something that we do here frequently at Sojourn, and, and trying to equip them on what's permissible and what's not, and how do you do it, and do you use a certain passage, and when you pray for it, and what kind of bread do you use, and can you use chai tea? These are conversations that we're having there. Chai tea permissible, or is, is water permissible if you live way out in the village? And so I remember we're having this, this conversation, and I asked them, like, you know, I told them in the U.S. sometimes churches use these little, little cups, and we each get our own cup because we're a very individualistic society, so we like doing that. In Argentina, where my wife is from, it's like this huge... Um, glass filled with wine and everyone drinks actually out of it. You, you put your lips on it and so by the time it gets to like the 10th person, it's already touched everyone else's mouth. So you always want to be in the front. Otherwise, if you're like the third hundredth person to try that and get all that backwash, you're pretty sure you're going to get some kind of funky disease. And so I'm asking them like, what, what is permissible? How do we do this? What's allowed? And when I talked about drinking from the same cup, whether you're doing it the way they do in Argentina or the way that we do it here where you dip your, your bread into the cup, they said, well, we can't, we can't do that. I, th- I thought, well, like, why, why not? What's, what's going on here? And they said, if the person next to us is from a lower caste, they're, they're going to make the rest of us all dirty. You know, and that was their response. And it was the one time, I usually try to let Scripture speak into how they did it. It was the one time I thought, that's exactly how you should do it then. Because you need to be communicating to the society around you that Jesus has, has made an equal playing field for every single person. He's provided a place at the table for every single person that we are all guests. None of us are ushers. None of us have arrived. And so that's kind of what's going on here. Pharisees are going, Jesus, you can't eat with these people. They are dirty, and they're going to make you dirty as a result of sharing the same table with them. And so this is exactly how the Pharisees and scribes felt about eating with, Jesus eating with Levi and his friends. Surely Jesus is going to be the one that becomes dirty. And most of us, if we are honest with ourselves, just think about this story playing out, we would be like the Pharisees and scribes in this story. We all want to be the hero. We all want to be Jesus in this story. But I'm just telling you, most of you would be the Pharisees and the scribes in this story. Maybe you've even found yourself at a table that, that you're uncomfortable. Have you ever found yourself in this situation where you're uncomfortable with the people who are eating and dining with you who are present? Maybe there's a certain type of person present that you're just not a fan of, their lifestyle choices or their gender to- choices or something else that's going on. And you're just like, I don't know if I want to be. I'm uncomfortable. I feel like I'm actually maybe getting, getting dirty because of, of eating with these people. It, it might rub off on me. That's what the Pharisees and scribes were thinking. But that's not how we see Jesus responding at all. And do the people in your life who know that you are a Christian, one, I would ask if you are a Christian, do the people in your life know that you're a Christian? I'm hoping that they do. Um, if you've lived in this city more than a week, you need to at least open your mouth and start talking about the things that you hopefully are passionate about. But those who know that you are a Christian, do they question who you eat and drink with in our city? Maybe they should. Maybe they should say, wait a minute, because what I've experienced is most of the time they think of the religious side of things. So like, well, how, how can you do this? This is, a, this is a loud. I thought you were a pastor. And I'm like, yeah, is, is there something wrong? You're, you're allowed to do this? You're allowed to, you're allowed to be in this place? Yeah. Now, there are certain places. We can tell about that afterwards, but maybe it's not the best idea to always go. But are they questioning you like they were questioning Jesus? Gospel community on Thursday nights, we, have a, we always have a meal time, and I love it. I mean, that's the one thing that we always do. People are like, do you guys study the Bible? Sometimes. Do you guys pray? Usually. Do you do a certain study by, you know, Francis Chan or somebody? No, we haven't, but I'm not opposed to it. But what do we always do? We always eat. Like, that is a given. We always, and I love that time of fellowship 
but we need to make sure we're also eating with those that aren't like us. Now, ideally, the church, as it grows, we will be eating with people that aren't like us as Jesus changed our lives. But we also need to get to a place where we're eating with those outside the, 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 the church community that we're part of. And so Jesus was asked, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Such table fellowship at that time implied that as he extended his, his association with them, that he was going to be getting unclean himself. And so New Testament scholar Scott Barchi says this, it would be difficult to overestimate the importance of table fellowship for the cultures of the Mediterranean basin in the first century of our era. Mealtimes were far more than occasions for individuals to consume nourishment. Being welcome at a table for the purpose of eating food with another person had become a ceremony richly symbolic of friendship, intimacy, and unity. Thus, betrayal or unfaithfulness toward anyone with whom one had shared the table was viewed as a particularly reprehensible. On the other hand, when persons were estranged, a meal invitation opened the way to reconciliation. So I know we, we might think of meals passively, but I want to I revisit that part where he says it's richly symbolic of friendship, intimacy, and unity. This is what meals represented at that time. And hopefully we can reclaim meals and get to a place where that is what they represent. Maybe you've had a relationship that's been broken in the last year or two. A great place to reconcile that relationship is around a plate of food. Take them out to the best restaurant that you can afford and say, let's eat this meal and let's, let's talk through this. Let's reconcile this relationship. And so a central question in the Judaism of Jesus' day was with whom can I eat? Essentially doing lunch was doing theology, which is what I like to tell my wife whenever I come home and say, I went out to eat today. I say, hey, babe, I was just doing theology. I was just doing ministry. Jesus modeled it for it. I want to follow it. And we see Jesus answer their question in verse 31 and 32. And Jesus answered them saying, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. So Jesus made it clear that he had not come to call the righteous, but the sinners to repentance. And this story, before you say, well, wait a minute, the Pharisees scribes are kind of confused by that. It's not teaching that the Pharisees were actually righteous, only that they presumed that they were righteous. They thought that they were righteous. And we probably have those people in our lives as well. But Jesus said, I, come, I have come to call those who are aware of their spiritual need. So those who say, you know what, I don't, I don't have it all together. But going back to that surrendering idea. Jesus, I need you. And that's not what the Pharisees were saying. He said, I'm here for the sick, the sinners, those in need of repentance, and those who see it without thinking they have it all together. And we can't do our work of pointing sinners to the Savior unless we spend time with people as we see Jesus going to Levi. So in order to disciple someone, you have to know where they are. And it doesn't happen by just sitting next to them on a Sunday night. And so I'm like, you know, we, talk, we talk about discipleship a lot here. But you have to know somebody's story. You actually have to know where they're at in life. You have to know what their struggles are in order to actually disciple them. And that's not going to happen, you know, like I said, just sitting here. I think about sitting here almost like sitting in a movie theater sometimes. Like you're just zoned in on this one thing. Like you're looking at the verses on the screen here. And, and we're seeing the songs, which is great. But you're not going to get to know people. So even within our midst here, disciple another, you've got you to gotta go do other things to get to know them and actually know what's happening in their heart and in their life. And you see, Jesus' offer of salvation to sinners threatens the Pharisees' way of life, yet is at the heart of the gospel that he came proclaiming. Jesus likens those who are well to those who are righteous and those who are sick to sinners. Jesus' opponents must judge for themselves which ones they are, and on account of lack of their mercy, the scribes are in fact the sick and the sinners themselves. Tim Chester says it this way, when Jesus eats with Levi, the message is clear. Jesus has come for losers, people on the margins, people who've made a mess of their lives, people who are ordinary. Jesus has come for you. The only people left are, are those who think that they don't need God, the self-righteous and self-important, and sadly, that includes many people. 
If you think about it, a lot of what we looked at this evening boils down to being present with people and being hospitable with people. And true hospitality involves welcoming people, creating space for them, listening, paying attention, and providing. I love the idea that meals slow things down. Meals aren't just quick. They're not just flippant. And which makes them counterintuitive to our culture. When you tell someone, like, hey, I want to go out to eat with you, and, you know, you take a long time to sit and just, just dine, you know, take, take that time. That's counterintuitive. Most of us love to get lunch on the go or, you know, or, or grab dinner on the go as we're going to the next thing that we're doing. Or we just, you know, our culture says skip lunch, work through lunch, right? And we get some kind of special badge one day because we work through lunch. Like, no, take time to eat with others at lunch, I used to struggle with this. I come from a work culture with my dad, just a really strong work ethic. And I would you know, work through lunch and be prideful of that until one day I realized, man, all of my coworkers, most of them who don't follow Jesus, they actually were going out to lunch a lot and enjoying one another's company. And so I said, you know what? I'm going to start leaving the work behind. It'll be fine because there's going to be another email coming in either way. And I'm going to go dine with them and go hang out with them, not just for the sake of hanging out and eating good food, although I like doing those things, but so that I can model what Jesus is modeling for us here. Most of us like the idea of church as a family. We talk about family a lot here. That is one of our main values. But when we eat together... We, we don't encounter some theoretical family, but real people with all of their problems and quirks. The meal table is an opportunity to give up our proud ideals by which we judge others and accept in their place real community created by the cross of Christ with all of its brokenness. That's why I love joining all of you in here around tables, around meals. Three of you in here tonight that aren't even blood members of my family are living with me. And after you live with me for a week, you're probably getting to see my flaws if you didn't already realize I had them. But I'm also getting to see your flaws, which is great because this is the idea of family when we all dine together around a table. Meals were a central part of the early church, and they will be a central part of the mission of Sojourn, which is why we always eat a meal in our gospel community. We have things like monthly cookouts like we did last week. We have another one on July 14th. Go ahead and mark your calendar, and things like potlucks, and usually we eat on Sunday nights at my house, and I don't know if we have enough food, but you're welcome to come. If we don't have enough food, family also brings food, so you can do like potluck style. Sorry, babe, if we don't have any food tonight, and I just invite everybody to our house. (laughs) But this is what the church is to be, a community of people finding family around a meal under the tree of Calvary. We should be a people who long to see every man, woman, and child embrace the freedom and family found at the table of Jesus. So here's the bottom line. Jesus has come for losers, people on the margins, people who have made a mess of their lives, people who are ordinary. Jesus has come for you. The only people left out are those who think they don't need God, the self-righteous and self-important, and sadly, that includes many people. So in closing, I would say if you're an, what they say, an unbeliever or you're unsure, or you're uncertain, and you're, maybe you're seeking, the call to you is the same as it was to Levi. Follow Jesus. It doesn't matter what you've done up until this point. You can be the most despised by our, our society and the Portland culture, but the guest list is open for you and your name is on it. Just forsake all and follow Jesus. It's that simple. For those of you who say, I follow Jesus, I'm a believer, I'm in Christ, We should let the gospels continue to grip our hearts and our lives. We should be the ones going to the despised and the rejected. Just think about our city of Portland. And you think of those groups that are despised and rejected. Maybe it's even at your office place. Like, no one really talks to that guy. He's like the weird guy that's stuck in the basement who keeps talking about a stapler. Like, go to that guy. Because we once were the despised. We once were the rejected. And Jesus came down and he joined the despised so that they could be accepted. And he did it by his blood. 
And so we should go and do likewise. That should be the posture of our hearts. We should leave here on Sunday nights excited about, man, who do we get to invite around the table this week? And like Levi, we should use our gifts and our life for the glory of God and usually them strategically for the mission of God at the risk of even being ridiculed for our name. Because if we get ridiculed, we're in good company. We're in the company of Jesus. And so at Sojourn, this is a big part of our mission strategy. If you're wondering, like, where does our budget go? A lot of it goes to food and coffee. And so my advice to you is don't get overwhelmed by the mission. It's a huge mission that we're on when you hear, like, oh, we're supposed to go do all these things, and this guy's telling me to be radical, and this guy's telling me to forsake it all and leave it all behind. We don't have to get overwhelmed by all of that stuff because the king's strategy, Jesus' strategy right here in the Gospel of Luke is meals, and so do things this summer collectively as a community of faith, but even on your own street. Do things like block parties. I know they're playing a block party on my street and right away with no questions asked. I was like, cool, we got pop-up tents and we got grills and we got tables and we got cornhole boards. And I'll even bring some people, so I signed all of you up to help me at our block party. We're going to do things like cookouts. You can do that in your backyard. It's pretty easy to fire up the grill. If you don't have a grill, I have two. I'll let you borrow one of them. Fire up the grill. Buy some vegan sausages because we have a lot of vegans in our city. Buy some hot dogs and say, hey, I want to have everyone over. Like, it doesn't cost you that much. You probably spend like 20 bucks. And if you don't have 20 bucks, I'll spot you 20 bucks to throw a party. Lunches and dinners. The place I used to work before I moved here, they provided lunch for us like three times a week. They provided it. All I had to do was leave my desk, make a plate of food, and find a table of people to sit with. It wasn't that hard. Coffee. We live in a city full of coffee. I can tell you the cheapest spots to get good coffee. You can get a free refill, and you can sit there for a couple hours. Some cases, I'll sit there for multiple hours and do work, but where you can interact with people. So all you have to do to be part of the king's mission is to be like the, the king and resolve that you'll share meals with sinners and that you'll reform relationships with gospel intentionality so you can point them to the grace and the great feast that is yet to come. This story and the Lord's Supper that we'll take in a few minutes should point us to a day that when we come, the roles will be reversed. Right now that we get to throw these parties and we get to throw these meals and we get to point people towards Jesus. But one day Jesus is going to throw a party for us and we get to gather around the king's table. And on that day, we'll eat bread and drink wine anew in the kingdom of God. And while our meals here will fail in comparison until that point, when we gather around the table for a meal, perhaps we're getting a glimpse of what it means to extend God's grace to those sinners around us, people just like us, the undeserving, the rejected, the despised in our culture. And so this is what we're going to do. We're going to finish up similar to how we normally do. We're going to reflect through a meal, actually, around the table known as the Lord's Supper. And when we do this, by taking up the elements, when we break off a piece of that bread, we get to be reminded of the body of Jesus that was broken on our behalf for you and for me and for those in our world around us. And as we dip it into the wine, and then we remember that Jesus' blood was shed for us. Now, if you've never responded to Jesus and, and you want to know what that looks like, the offer's available to you today. I always like kind of hang around the back. So if you just need prayer for something, or if you're like, I've got some questions, I'm really not sure about this whole thing that you're talking about. Or if you're not comfortable doing that, we have cards in the back. You can fill those out and put on, hey, please pray for this. You don't even have to put your name on it, but if you'd like to put your name on it, we would love to know who, who you are so we can pray for you strategically. And then the final thing we want to do is we want to respond and worship through a couple of ways. Uh, one of those is we have our box in the back, and we would say that if you're part of Sojourn, we want to be generous with our time, our talent, our treasure. And so the box is back there. I know some of us do online giving, but um, if not, the box is there to give of our, our tithes and our offerings. And then we also want to respond through singing uh, a couple more songs to be led by Julie. So I'm going to pray for us. She's going to come up and play, and then we can respond accordingly. 
Thanks for listening to our sermons podcast. We hope it was helpful for you as you continue on the mission of Jesus and the journey of faith. If you sense God doing something in you and would like to talk to one of us about it, or if you'd just like to learn more about what God is doing in our lives, please reach out to us over social media or email, or check out our website at sojournpdx.org. We look forward to hearing from you soon.